It's amazing that we are now in 2021. We still live in a world full of people. We still live in a world where we are blown away and shocked and amazed at the levels of evil that still exist in our worlds today. And we know it shouldn't catch us off guard, but it does. And the levels of evil, it, there's not just a, you know, we think we put it in a category. There's this level of evil, this level of evil, this level of evil. When the reality is, evil is evil. It doesn't matter how bad it is or how bad it does itself. I think about the levels of evil that are in our world. You know, we're shocked when we learn about a head football coach from a predominant college football program. A head coach who's been there for a number of years. But this head coach had known that an assistant coach that had been on the staff at different schools was sexually abusing boys and turned a blind ear to it. And we're shocked when he, we find out this information. And I think we're even more shocked when there are those who are trying to help this head coach keep his job because of who he is, knowing this was taking place. We hear about this level of evil, and it makes us angry. But then we read about a doctor and an athletic trainer who's at a major college who is accused and found guilty of sexually abusing girls. As a matter of fact, the number of girls that he was assaulting is about 150. Most of them were kids. At his trial, he was sentenced to 175 years in prison. And I'm going to tell you right now, the human side of me, he wouldn't have made it to prison. But that's just me. That's that level of anger. We think we want revenge. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But at his trial, before his sentencing, every young lady was allowed to speak about what had happened to him. On January 24th, 2018, a young lady named Rachel Denhoffer, who would go on to become a lawyer now practicing law, but at the time she was an aspiring gymnast. She was the first one to accuse this man of what he had done, and she was the last one to speak at his trial. And so she stands up, and this is what she shares at this man's trial. Through this process, I have come to a quote by C.S. Lewis, where he says, my argument against God was that the universe seems too cruel and unjust. But how I got this, get this idea of just unjust. A man is not called a line crooked unless he has first had some idea of what a straight line looks like. What was I comparing the universe to when I called it unjust? And this was her words to this man. Sir, I can call you evil and wicked because it was. And I know it was evil and wicked because the straight line exists. The straight line is not measured based on your perception or anyone else's perception. In this means, I can speak truth about my abuse without minimization or mitigation. And I can call it evil because I know what goodness is. And this is why I pity you. Because when a person loses the ability to define good and evil, when they cannot define evil, they no longer define and enjoy what is truly good. This is an illustration of what an overcomer likes. This is an illustration of a young woman who learned how to overcome the evil she dealt with, the idea of revenge that was within herself. This lady is truly an overcomer. But here's the question I want us to think about. There's a number of questions I want us to kind of wrap our brains around this morning. What enables someone to overcome evil with good in this way. Thinking about what has happened to this young lady, thinking about what she had to endure, she stands up and tells this man, there's a point when you knew what was good, you knew what the straight line was, and you chose to ignore it. This morning, as we're working through this series, this, this morning we're looking at this idea of how do we overcome evil with good. Overcoming evil with good is where we're focusing our attention this morning. 
is here's two more questions I want you to think about as we work through this message today. How do we keep ourselves, how do we keep ourselves from giving into anger, bitterness, and revenge? How do we keep ourselves from falling into that trap? How do we keep our hearts strong with the evil that is in us and also the evil that is around us? Go ahead and take the Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. This is the kind of the base section of Scripture we're in for the series. Ephesians chapter 6, again we're in verse 14 this morning as we look at what it means to put on the armor of God and what that armor looks like. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, we've already been told to stand. We've already been told last week to put on that belt of truth. This morning we pick up the passage there in the third part of this verse. It says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And this is the section we're looking at this morning. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, Paul is using this illustration of a Roman soldier. And this Roman soldier in his armor, one of the most important pieces, one of the critical pieces to protecting his life was that breastplate that you see circled in yellow on the screen behind me. And here's what's interesting about that breastplate. For the common Roman soldier, that breastplate was made out of a thick Leather. Thick leather. Say that three times without starting. And it was a firm piece, and it was, it had some thickness to it. It had a little bit of weight, but it was designed to slow down the arrows that might come at you or any other sharp objects. That was the common Roman soldier. But the picture I show behind me is one of an officer. An officer's breastplate would have had that leather, but it would have been covered in metal on top of it. That's how you distinguish a common soldier from an officer. This is why the armor they wore. But remember, Paul is talking about putting on this breastplate to protect the soldier's heart. Is the illustration he's using here. For you and for me, this breastplate is, is a metaphor to protect not only our physical heart, but most importantly, the spiritual part of our heart. Notice what scripture says here. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. There's that word righteousness. And it's this idea of protecting the spiritual center of our lives. Now righteousness is an old-fashioned word. We don't use it a whole lot today. But the definition I found for righteousness is simply this. Acting in accord with divine or moral law. Being free from guilt or sin and being morally right or justifiable as in a righteous decision. Here's the illustration, and here's what Paul is saying. When you and I take on this righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his moral perfection, his sinless life, the obedience he had to the Father, when we put on his righteousness and we live rightly in the world we're in, we are able to overcome the evil that is thrown at us, not only the evil that is within us, but the evil that is around us. But I want to pause for a moment. We tend to think evil is just what's around us. We read about the evil in the world. We read about the evil that happens even in our own backyard. We read about evil around this world. We, we think that evil is just from the outside. But scripture plainly shows us that evil is both on the outside and it's on the inside. Take your Bibles turn to Mark chapter 7. This morning, I'm going to go ahead and warn you. We're going to be looking at a handful of sections of scripture. I promise you, we're not going back to Ephesians, so we're okay there. But in Mark chapter 7, it paints a different picture when we think about what evil looks like, what evil is, and how we deal with it. Because we do, we have this mindset, well, evil's all around us, and we see it, but we forget that evil has a starting point. And there is the possibility, there is the potential of allowing evil to come from within more so than come from the outside. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 20, 
Look what the scripture says to me. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed. And I would underline that word in your Bible. What comes out of the heart of man, proceed. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetedness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Verse 23. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Notice where the evils that I just listed in verses 21 through 22 come from. They're not from the outside. They come from within our own hearts. And let's be honest, we read this list and it's kind of depressing. But it's not even a complete list. Listen, there is no way for me this morning to give you a complete list of the potential of every kind of evil act that can be conceived today. The list is too long. And there are some things we would think of, and there are some things we would never think of that we could put on this list. But before we can look at the evil that's around us, we have to look at the evil that comes from within. Remember, we have an unstrained, we have an unconverted heart that is capable of every kind of evil. And listen to this statement. Every man, every woman has the seeds of evil growing in their hearts. You and I have the potential for evil. It can be on a small scale. It can be on a major scale. But everyone of us has the potential for evil. Take your Bible from the Romans chapter 3. A lot of scripture to look at on the first side of this message. And then we'll camp out in a specific section of scripture in just a moment. But in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, Paul is telling the church in Rome, and he's reminding them of this simple fact. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. One of the most dangerous thoughts a believer can have, much less a human being in general, but the most dangerous thought that any one of us can have is simply this. Oh, I would never do something that evil. That is a dangerous statement to make. Because only you know your heart. It's easy to say you wouldn't until you're in a situation. It's easy to say you couldn't until you're in a situation. Scripture we just looked at tells us that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one knows what good is. And the bad news this morning I have for you is that there is evil inside every one of us. None of us are good. None of us are perfect. There is potential for evil in some way, shape, or form. But I also have good news for you today. Because what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he overcame because of his goodness and mercy. He overcame evil by dying on the cross and offering us his righteousness. This free gift that can only be received by faith in him. When Jesus was on the cross, and as Jesus arose from the dead, this is why we can clarify the passage in Scripture. You don't have to turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 6, remember we're told we don't wrestle against blood. We're not wrestling against flesh. Scripture says we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and the spiritual hosts of wickedness. Evil no longer has the power to overcome the one who is clothed with the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 tells us what Christ did on the cross. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become, in the word, the righteousness of God in him. 
So here's the reminder to your outline this morning. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our identity as a sinner. Remember, Jesus was perfect, lived a sinless life. But the minute he hung on the cross, he took my place as a sinner. He took your place as a sinner. So he switches roles. He takes off his righteousness and puts on my sin. There's a second part to that statement. The second thing he does is simply this. When we believe in him, we take on his identity as the righteous son of God. So look at this picture for a moment. Jesus takes off, literally takes off his righteousness and exchanges it for my sin. He takes my sin and puts it on and allows himself to die on the cross for my sin so I can take his righteousness and put it on. That is so important. We put on this breastplate every day. Yes, we put on the belt of truth. We know truth right from wrong. We put on this breastplate to protect not only our hearts from what's on the outside, but more importantly, protect from what's on the inside to be effective. So at the death on the cross, Jesus accomplishes two critical things. And I've been repeating, I sound like a broken record, but I want you to understand this this morning. First, he took our sin upon himself. He became sin for us. And when we put our trust in Jesus, not only does he forgive us of our sin, he gives us his righteousness and gives it to us. The moment I believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and I repent for my sin, and I ask for forgiveness, I have access to that righteousness that only comes from Him. This is how we overcome evil with good, by placing our trust, our hope, and our faith in a Savior, and He does the rest. And as we think about our hope, putting our faith in Jesus Christ, I want to introduce you to a young boy named Willie Myron. Willie Myron. When Willie was 10 years old, he was walking his dog, a little chihuahua. He's 10 years old at the time of the story. So he's walking his dog, and he sees some cash by a tree. What 10-year-old boy is not going to stop and look at money on the ground by a tree? He looks at the money, and as he walks close to the money, a man grabs him and throws him in the car and threatens him. He tells him to be quiet. If he says a word, I'll hurt you. If you tell anybody what happens, I'll hurt you. So for three hours, this individual drove around with this young boy in the back seat. Do you know what this young boy did for three hours in the back seat? He went on repeat mode and sang a Hezekiah Walker song, talking about praising God every praise. In the song, he sang that song constantly while this man is driving around downtown Atlanta. After three hours, the man was so tired of hearing Billy sing this same song that he put Billy out of the car and left him. Willie was finally able to get the help he needed and got home. But because this young man was singing praises to his God at 10 years old, it protected him from the evil that was potentially going to harm him. Why? Because he knew Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he was putting his trust in his Savior based on the words of a song that he had learned. Other than also driving the kidnapper crazy. All he did was sing praises about his God, and God spared his life. This 10-year-old boy overcame evil because of the outpouring of God's love for him. So how does this happen? How do we truly overcome evil? Trusting in a Father who loves us, trusting in a God who sent his Son to die for our sins. Take your Bibles this morning, turn to Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to promise you that this is where we're going to be for a bulk of our time, so if you want to take your Bible with it, and go ahead and put it in Romans chapter 12 this morning, 
that would be a good idea. But in Romans chapter 12, there are six ways for you and I to overcome evil in this short section of Scripture. Romans chapter 12. The first way to overcome evil with good is simply this. Leave vengeance to God. Leave vengeance to God. And I'm going to go ahead and say right now that every one of these points are going to be hard for us to do because of our human nature, because of the sin we wrestle with, because there are days we forget to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We want to do the opposite of what we should do this morning. But the first step is simply this leave vengeance to God. Look at verses 17 and 19. The first part of 17 simply says this. Repay no one evil for evil. Then jump down to verse 19, the latter part of that verse. Or read the whole verse, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do you ever notice how we talk about wanting to get somebody hurts us. We want to get even. We kind of want to take that, that, that scale. Somebody did something to me. I want to do something to them to even the odds. And that's the world's mindset. The world says somebody hurts you, you hurt them back. The world says somebody does something evil, you repay with evil. And this is a world we live in. And we want to do something to, to somebody who hurts us. So we want to take vengeance. We wanted it even. And sometimes we make it worse than it was. I read about a man who got mad at his local DMV. Imagine that, somebody getting mad at the DMV. So he gets mad because the local DMV where he lives will not give him their direct phone number. He's got to call this other number to get to a real life person, to call to a real person. And he wants a direct line, and they won't give it to him. So because he's upset, when it came time to pay for the two cars that he owns, he proceeds to do this. He loads up five wheelbarrows with 300,000 pennies to pay for his car tax. And this was his rationale. If they were going to inconvenience, inconvenience me, I was going to inconvenience them. I want to know who had responsibility to count out 300,000 pennies. But can you imagine being so mad? That's their way of getting evil. They want to seek vengeance from something that's happened to them. And here's the thought when I look at this picture. When you and I decide to try to handle, try to handle the vengeance part, you know what we're doing? We're taking that responsibility away from God. Because scripture just said in verse 19, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God says that vengeance is his, and we have no right, we have no authority to take on that role that he had reserved for himself. Listen, if you try to do God's work, you will fail. You are not God, you cannot be God, and you can't try to get revenge. Let God handle the vengeance. Let God do the work. Now, here's the key. It might require patience on your part. You may have to wait a little while before you see God do what he needs to do. But let God handle the vengeance. Let things go according to his plan, not your desires. So the first thing we do is we leave vengeance to God. Here's the second thing based on this Romans passage. Learn to plan ahead. Learn to plan ahead. Look at it.
What can you see coming ahead? What is facing you? What kind of plans can you make to handle what's coming towards you? What can you do to handle what's coming at you? Whether it be a temptation or a difficulty, what plans are you making? Because every week, every week we have to pray. We have to pray specifically about what strategy we are going to use in facing the evil that's going to be presented to us this week. We have to pray for that strategy. That's why Scripture says we plan ahead. Take your Bibles for just a second. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As I told you a moment ago, we are coming back to that Romans passage to make sure your bookmark is in that section of Scripture. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. The verse sounds so simple Yet we struggle with First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15 says this. See that no one regards evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. When it comes to handling the evil that's in our lives, most of us tend to be reactive. But Paul's telling us to be proactive, to plan ahead, to pursue what is good instead of reacting to what is bad. Listen, you and I are not immune to daily irritation. We're not immune to troubling situations. We're not immune to seeing the worst of people every day. But we also are understanding that we don't repay evil for evil. We learn to plan ahead for what's coming at us. I mean, think about it. How many of you get frustrated? Please don't raise your hand. But how many of you get frustrated when you make a phone call and you hear this on the other end of the line? Your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line and interrupt it immediately shortly. No, they won't. And so we get upset. We get frustrated. And listen, your blood boils. You get discouraged. Listen, how many of you get upset when somebody decides to dodge lanes in traffic? Thank you. I mean, where did you get your license? I mean, that's the question we want to ask. When somebody cuts you off in traffic in the middle of downtown Greensville, where did you get your license? Forget I-16. Forget Spaghetti Junction in Atlanta. Just go to the right here in Greensville. There's a turn lane for a reason. Where did you get it? We get frustrated. How about this one? She really gets under my skin. Nobody in here, okay? Nobody watching gets under my skin. But we do we say that. Or how about this one? He makes me so mad. I'm fixing to make a statement that's going to blow your mind this morning. I'm going to make a few more things. This one I think is going to blow your mind. No person, event, or thing can make you get upset or frustrated. Listen to what I said. No person, no thing, no event can make you get upset or frustrated. You are responsible for your reaction. You take responsibility. It's how you react that gets you in trouble. It's how you react that allows that evil to kind of seep in. There are people in situations that are going to drive you crazy. There are people in situations that are going to upset you. But Paul challenges us to come up with a strategy for how can we do good even in unpleasant situations. Listen, my job and your job as a believer is to learn how we can do better the next time we face that similar person or event. That's our call as a believer. So in doing that, we learn to plan ahead. But here's the third thing that follows along. It's simply this. Learn, lean rather, into the next right thing. Lean into the next right thing. Looking again at Romans chapter 12, verse 17, it simply says, that second part of that verse, having regard for good things in the sight of of all men. 
Whether we plan for them or not, we know that trials are going to come, and when we do, we decide how we're going to respond. For the believer, no response is not an option. For a believer, when there's a troubling time, when there's a hard situation, no response is not an option. You do not have a choice to ignore it, to forget it, to not accept it, or be passive about the face of evil. Remember, the Ephesians 6 passage, we put on that armor of God, it's not about being in a battle to fight, it's being in a battle to stand your ground. Four times in that section of scripture it says, stand, not fight, not cower, not hide. It says, stand. So we stand wearing that belt of truth. We stand putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So we put on that armor of God every day. And so we can stand against the evil, not fight. Because if you try to fight evil, you will lose. So we stand when we're facing the evil. And it's only when we put on the complete armor of God that we can stand and face it and overcome it. So we're not called to seek vengeance because God already has it handled. So what are we supposed to do? We're not supposed to seek vengeance. Remember the young lady I told you about when we started the message? She has the courage to stand and face her accuser. And she talks about that straight line that he chose to ignore. He straight line he chose to do away with. So where did she find the strength to stand up to this man? It was because of her faith. She says, we read here in verse 17 of this passage, it says, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. What she called a straight line in her statement is a crooked line when we think about evil. She understood right and good. This man chose to ignore those right things and chose evil. So she takes a stand. Listen, we can sometimes look at evil and it's difficult to expose. And there's sometimes we see evil that's right in front of our face. Yet we have a choice. Whether it's evil we see or evil that's hiding around the corner, we have the choice to put on that spiritual armor that gives us the strength, gives us the resilience to stand against not only the obvious enemy we see coming, but the hidden enemy around the corner. The one that wants to confuse us, the one that's just a little subtle. In like any other situation, like the person that we trusted who betrays us, as an overcomer, we put our trust in Christ. When you and I have doubts, we ask Him for help. We ask Him through the Holy Spirit to show us to do the right next, that good thing. We trust God that doing the one right thing, the one good thing after another will overcome any wrong thing, any evil thing that's in our path. And sometimes the results we may not see them yet, but we're overcoming what's in front of us. And sometimes God's ways and God's plan are bigger than ours. And we don't always understand or see what God has in store for us. We had to handle evil and had to learn to do the right thing. Because we're not going to always witness the results of God doing what he does when evil happens to us. But we know God is in control. We know that God's going to accomplish something through that for those who believe in Him. Over this last year, I've been reading a lot about the Lewis and Clark expedition. Only because, and I've shared this before, Lewis and Clark, you know, they were tasked with going and mapping out a, a path to the Pacific. Because there was this thought that there was a waterway and you got a halfway to straight to the Pacific. Well, Lewis and Clark learned that there was no waterway. There's a lot of mountains. But there's an interesting story that happened to Lewis and Clark as they're on the expedition. They got into the winter months. It's hard, cold, and food was scarce, and they thought they were going to die. So they travel a little further and they come across the island. Mountains 
and they stumble upon the camp of the Nez Pierce Native American tribe. So they come to this tribe hoping to receive help, hoping to receive food. Well, when they got to this tribe, the Native Americans wanted to kill them. They wanted to take all their supplies they had left, their guns, their food, anything they had. Because in their mind, they were the bad guy. And they were going to do it until this lady stepped forward. This lady was a part of the tribe. She told her tribe this story. When she was a young girl, she'd been kidnapped by another Native American tribe and sold as a slave to somebody else. In the process of all this stuff happening to her, this group of Canadians rescued her, took care of her, provided her with clothes and food, and helped her get back to her people. And so she remembered for her lifetime what they strengthened for her. So when Lewis and Clark show up, she's reminded of what happened when she was a young lady. And this is what she told about these men from Canada. She didn't know their name, but this is how she described them. They were light-skinned people who lived toward the rising sun and took care of her. So when these light-skinned men of the Lewis and Clark expedition walked into the Indian camp, this lady intervened and she said this, these are the people who helped me do no harm. The men who initially helped this young lady, they had no idea that many years later, she would take that act of kindness and show it again to strangers to protect them. Because of what was done to her because those men from Canada chose to lean into the next good thing, into the next right thing. For us, we're told to do the same thing. It says, have regard for good things in the sight of all people. We are called to do the next good thing for, to those in need, for those we've encouraged. But moving on, next point, live peaceably with all men. Man, I love that one. Verse 18, if it is possible as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. story about a Florida landscaper who got mad at his neighbor because his neighbor chose to use a different landscaper than him. What could go wrong there? Tell you how bad he got. According to the police report, the neighbor who got mad, this is what he started doing. Listen to this. He began to terrorize his neighbors. He threw eggs at their home. He killed their lawn. He put nails in the road. And to put the cherry on top, he set a boat on fire. Because he was so mad that it didn't him to be their landscaper. And he was arrested. And he was charged with criminal mischief. And to his neighbor's relief, he moved. That's one story I read. But then I came across another one out of Florida. So I've heard real quick, lady would never move to Florida. Okay. Too many strangers. So in Florida, two neighbors got upset about these bushes that were on the property line. Neighbor A hated them. Neighbor B loved them. Well, neighbor A finally had enough of these bushes. He got his chainsaw and started whacking them down. Neighbor B said, no, you're not. They proceeded to hug the bushes. Neighbor A did not stop cutting the bushes. Neighbor B ended up in the hospital having surgery to repair tendons in his arm while neighbor A spent some time in jail. But we read these stories and scratch our heads and we think about how rapidly our world continues to go downhill. How we get angry at conflicts that happen in our nation, in our world. One of my follows I have on Twitter is the New York Police Department. And they're looking for a gang of individuals, about five of them. The security cameras show these five men chasing down another man, knocking to the ground, beating him, and then stealing his clothes in broad daylight. 
with cameras everywhere. This is the evil we see around us. We think of the evil. Let's not even talk about the political season this year. Think about evil. Think about that hatred that was thrown back and forth. And we see hatred even spill over our TV shows. And we see insults, slander. We see people belittle others because they don't agree with their views. Listen, today, in 2021, there are things that students say that if I said it back in 1900, I'd be in trouble. There's no regard. Yet we look at this behavior. We look at this evil. We're told to live peaceably with all men, yet our world says no. But Scripture says this, Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no evil will see the Lord. Responding with evil for evil just escalates it. It's like pouring gasoline on a roaring fire. You're not going to get anything to the fire to make it worse. But as a child of God, because when we do good, we're able to smother the evil that's around us. We're able to smother because it lacks the authority to keep it alive. Now, I understand this. We have no, we do not have total control of every situation. Trust me, I know. We don't have control of every situation we want to have. And I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to pause because I'm not giving you a free card to do something, okay? Because here's what I remind you of. Here's what God's word tells us. When we have done everything in our power to establish and maintain peace, and the other person is not willing to have peace, then God does not hold us accountable for the lack of peace. Okay, now stop right there. I know some of you are thinking. Some of you are going, I can't do it. No, you don't. Here's why. You have to do everything within your power and the power of God to live at peace with everyone. Can you exhaust that peace? Yes. But you still have to do everything in your power to live peaceably with those around you. That's what the scripture says, verse 18. If it is possible, as much as it depends, notice that, as much as it depends on you, not the other person, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And then here's one more thought. Let good overcome evil. I know I got one more after this. I'm getting there, I promise. Let good overcome evil. Romans 20, 20 and 20, Romans 12, 20 and 21. Verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let good overcome evil. I, I read this story out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's about a, it happened a number of years ago about a man named Tom McGee. When Tom was young, Tom had a problem with drinking and driving. And it got him in trouble a number of times. One night, he got drunk and ran head-on into a car driven by another man named Ted Morris. He killed Ted instantly while driving under the influence. Tom, this wasn't his first time being arrested, but he was arrested and charged with manslaughter, found guilty, and he was sentenced to serve a term in prison. Because, but because of the time the prisons were overcrowded, he was able to make parole early. Now you would think that Tom had learned his lesson, but he didn't. Short time later, Tom got picked up again for drinking and driving, and his parole was revoked, and he was sentenced to prison. Now we hear this part of the story and say, finally, justice has been served. But here's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would have said years ago. You see, Ted's father, the father of the young man who was killed, started visiting Tom in prison. 
and Ted's dad would see him once every other week, and they struck up a relationship. A little while later, Elizabeth, who's his wife, would start making cookies that Tom, that uh, Ted's father would take to Tom and visit. Eventually, Tom did his time in prison and was released, but he had nowhere to go. So Ted's parents took Todd in. This man who had killed their son, the parents took this man in. They found him a job, gave him a place to sleep. Take it a step further. These parents who lost their son to this man would go on to adopt this man as their son. And when this couple passes away, this man who is now their son will receive everything that they have as far as their possessions. That is a story of forgiveness. That is a picture of letting good overcome evil. Because they did what we just read about here in Romans chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus tells us about reversing the impact of evil. Matthew 5, 38 through 40 says this. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Jesus' words, Jesus said, if somebody slaps you, give them the other cheek. If they take your tunic, don't try to get it back. He's talking about this idea of letting good overcome evil. Peter put it this way. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for evil for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And here's one, here's how one man put the whole thought. Evil is powerful, but good is more powerful. In fact, evil is so powerful that only good has the power to overcome evil. Darkness can be driven away only by light. So we do what scripture says here. We let good overcome evil. Last point. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. I don't know if you're paying attention, but there's a really interesting phrase here in verse 20. You know, scripture says there, if your enemy's hungry, feed him, if he's thirsty, give him a drink, and doing so, you will heat, notice that word, coals of fire on his head. That's a weird phrase right there. Now, here's what I need you to do. Listen very carefully, church. I know you got to the last point of the outline. Don't do the outline. And I want you to see the results of all this. Now, these six things we talked about this morning of how we overcome evil with good. Keeping coals of fire. I read that phrase, and so I had to do some research. It's based on an Egyptian custom. The Egyptian custom in which a person who wanted to show public remorse would carry a pan of burning coals over his head. The coals represent the burning pain of his shame and his guilt. So we're told that when we do these things, we love our enemy, we feed them, we take care of them, we're heaping coals of fire upon their head. That's what a believer does because when we do good instead of evil, we're bringing shame to the person who did the evil in the first place. And we're heaping those coals upon them. And we're bringing that person to remind them of the hate and the animosity that they have shown towards us by heaping these coals. And I thought about that phrase in my brain and really went back to David. You know, we used David to kick off this series. Like David took on the life. But it reminded of another incident with David. Remember, David was picked to be king, but he wasn't quite there to serve as king. Remember, Saul gets mad, and Saul goes looking for him. Saul wants to kill him. 
So there's this moment in Scripture. Go ahead and take your Bibles. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. There's a really neat scene in Scripture here. So Saul is pursuing David. David is near hiding in a cave. So Saul and his army have got to a stopping point, and Saul decides to go into the cave by himself. Well, David's men see this. They see that the king is by himself, and they try to encourage David to kill him. David gets close enough to the king to cut off the corner of his robe. The king never knows him. So the king comes out of the cave. But here's where I want to pick up the scripture. Look at me in 1 Samuel chapter 24, starting in verse 10. David has come out of the cave and he's gotten King Saul's attention. Verse 10. Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand and that, hey, someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of the robe, of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. And I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. You know what David just did? He just heaped a whole bunch of burning coals on Saul's head. David says, we just read back in Romans. You love those who try to hurt you, you good those who try to kill you. David could have taken out the king if he knew that was God's anointed. He knew that was God's man at the time. And he makes that statement. And he, if you notice the words there in the latter part of verse 11, see there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, for I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Now notice Saul's response to David's words. Jump down to verse 16. So when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, then Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I. You have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. You have shown this day how you have dealt with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he not get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. The minute you try to repay evil with evil, you become just as bad as the devil himself. The minute you try to repay evil for evil, you're just as bad as the devil. Because you and I, the child of God, we're called, we're told to repay evil with good because that makes us more like God's children. We know, and I understand this statement, that ultimately, victory over evil is a work of love. Jesus said these words, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So you know how you overcome evil with good? You love them, you bless them, you do good, and you pray for them. That's how you overcome evil with good. And can you imagine for just a moment what the world would look like if everybody did that every day? That we would love people we would find ways to bless them. We would find ways to do good. And we would pray for them. Listen, you and I will never stop encountering evil in this world. Outside of being in heaven, we will never be free from temptations of evil that are around us. 
They are within us. They are around us. Enjoying through the power of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Can we take on that righteousness, that goodness, and what God desires for his children and live it out? Listen, if you and I are going to protect our hearts from evil, we have to put on the righteousness of Christ every day. We put on that breastplate. We know Jesus never failed to overcome evil. We look at his life, and I leave with this statement. Philippians 3, 9, 7 says this about Jesus, how he walked in faith, how he had this righteousness. And scripture simply says this. In being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by Faith. How do we overcome evil with good? It's because of the righteousness that Jesus Christ gave us when he took on my sin on the cross. My question this morning is this. Are you putting on that righteousness every day? The only way you can answer yes to that is by being a child of God. Every head down and every eye in just a moment, John is going to lead us in a very familiar hymn. It reminds us that no matter what we're facing, the evil that is around us because we are a child of God through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it is well with my soul. No matter what I'm facing, the temptations that, that work at me, that try to slip me up, I know that as a child of God, no matter what I'm facing because of what he did in saying his son died for my sins, no matter what troubles I face, it is well with my soul. My prayer for everyone in this room this morning, those who are listening to us this morning, is simply this, that you understand this truth, that you understand what it means to put on this righteousness that's only found through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because without Jesus, you cannot put on the righteousness. Without Jesus, you will fall to the evil every day. And as a child of God, being called to put on the complete armor of God, we put on that breastplate to prepare and protect our heart and prepare us for the day that's ahead, the things we'll face. Not only the things on the outside, but the things that potentially come. So have you placed your trust in Christ? Are you putting on that breastplate of righteousness every day? Father, as we move into this time of invitation and response, my prayer is to be this, that you would move in a way that you desire, Father, that your will be done. Father, as we sing, we are reminded that it is well with my soul. We can only sing that knowing you as a child of God, only knowing you as our Lord and Savior. So this morning, during this time, may your will be done. Father, you may be telling people to pray where they're sitting, and that is fine. Father, you may be telling others to come to the altar and just give whatever it is that's holding them from putting on that breastplate of righteousness. Father, whatever is keeping them from completely following you and just laying it on the altar this morning and turning it over to you. But Father, my prayer is simply this during this moment, Father, most importantly, that your will will be done. Praise your son's name. Amen. Let's all stand.